You're listening to the Jesus for Everyone podcast, a podcast where we talk about the intersection of faith and social justice and what a first century Jewish prophet of the poor from Galilee offers us today in our work of love, compassion, and justice. To support this podcast, go to RenewedHeartMinistries.com and click donate. The values that were acted on in last week's events, the disparity between how law enforcement responded to the mob and and how they respond to black people, and lastly, the disparities in our ability to analyze the actions of those at the U.S. Capitol building on January 6th, all deeply concern me. This is Herb Montgomery, and I want to welcome you this week to the Jesus for Everyone podcast. This is episode 356, and our title this week is Desecrating Sacred Spaces. Um, I, I just want to say from the beginning this week that uh, that that this week's pretty heavy. Um, there's a lot that has transpired in the U.S. over the last seven days, and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, that in Mark's gospel, we read in Mark thirteen fourteen, when you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Jesus here is describing the desecration of sacred space as a a red flag alert warning to his followers. And before we write this passage off, just thinking that the temple of, of which this passage is, is referring to was, was just re- a religious sacred space. Remember, there was no separation of church and state in Jesus's culture as we know of that separation today. The temple was both religious and a civic sacred space. The capital of the temple state that governed Jesus' society uh, was the, the, the temple there in, in Jerusalem. The temple was not only religious space, think of it also as a, a state a, a capital. And this speaks volumes to me in the wake of what we recently witnessed at the U.S. Capitol um, uh, and at state capitals across this country. Within U.S. civic religion, Many today consider the U.S. Capitol building to be civic sacred space. And I I think of my Christian siblings who have so vocally supported uh, President Trump over the last four years. And I, I question whether they will succeed or fail to see the events last week as yet another of a long list of red flag warnings within our context today. So let's unpack this just a little bit. The passage that we're looking at, it's drawing the phrase abomination that causes desolation from the book of Daniel and 1 Maccabees. This phrase originally referred to events that took place in the early 2nd century BCE. The historical desecration that this language originally referred to was Antiochus the, the, the fourth, um, Antiochus Epiphanes, and, and violating the, the temple's altar of burnt offering with an image of Zeus that was fashioned in Antiochus's likeness. Mark picks up this language, which would have been familiar to his listeners 
listeners, picks up this language to describe the events that led to the desecration and destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in 70 CE. The language is apocalyptic, and and again, it would have been familiar to Mark's intended Jewish and, and Christian audience. What I want to talk about this week is in our own context of watching sacred space being desecrated, a disparity of values, a disparity of, uh, 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 of treatment or response, and a, a disparity of analysis. So let's let's jump into that first one, disparity of values. In this section of Mark's gospel, Jesus is warning of false messiahs and their deception of the people. Just a few verses later, still in Mark 12, 21 through 23, at that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or look, there he is, do not believe it, for false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Here in the U.S., poor white people have a long history of being duped by, by false messianic political figures who, who, who stoke their, their worst fears and, and play to their own bigotry and, and appeal to a base set of desires that ultimately proves every time to be death-dealing for them and, and often society at large. The history goes all the way back to, to Bacon's Rebellion in 1675, when the elite hoped to protect their superior status and, and their economic position by driving a wedge between black enslaved people and poor whites. Having prevented these groups from forming an alliance, the elites then offered poor whites a racial bribes, the, the special privileges that, that black people would never receive. In, in The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander, she writes, white settlers were allowed greater access to Native American lands. White servants were allowed to police slaves through slave patrols and militias. And barriers were created so that free labor would not be placed in competition with slave labor. These measures effectively eliminated the risk of future alliances between black slaves and poor whites. That's on page 24. Poor whites now had a, a personal stake in a racialized system of injustice. Their plight didn't improve much, but at least they were higher up than the black slaves. And Alexander goes on to add, once the elites split the labor force, poor whites responded to the logic of their situation and sought ways to expand their racially privileged position. That's on 24 and 25. Today, elites in the U.S., are still driving wedges between the poor and, and working classes. And, and the, those, those wedges are along racist, sexist, homophobic, biphobic, transphobic lines. That's what we saw happening last week. The elites to make to 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 
to, to uh, try, in an effort to try to hold on to power, manipulated uh, 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 people who were vulnerable to that manipulation. And in, in James Baldwin's book, The Fire Next Time, he writes, I imagine that one of the reasons people cling to their hate so stubbornly is because they sense once hate is gone, they'll be forced to deal with pain. There's a lot of pain in what we saw uh, on both sides last week. And, and, and one group's pain was being manipulated. Uh, uh, white Jesus followers today, rich or poor, we must reclaim Jesus' warning against false messiahs as a call to examine our own pain. It can be for us a springboard, not into vulnerability, but to evaluating our own actions, determining whether our actions are rooted in truth and are, are holy and life-giving, or whether our actions are profane and based in deception, bribery, and death dealing. That's what we saw last week. What we saw at the Capitol building last week was a matter of, of people acting out their values. People who had been deceived into thinking they were fighting for freedom and against tyranny were actually fighting for four more years of bigotry, lies, autocracy, and, and a downward spiral into a cult of personality. Too few of us have developed the ability to think critically about what others tell us. And, and the people at the Capitol have been manipulated by political powers, wealthy elites, powerful corporations, and a president who doesn't know how to emotionally deal with losing. These were not protesters calling for justice. They were a, an out-of-control mob deceived about the character of their actions and deceived about the character of the man they had chosen to follow. And if you trust, if you follow those who lie and cheat and show themselves to be bragging bullies, your end will be harm to yourself and others. I want to talk about also the disparity of treatment. I watched the news the day after the mob stormed the Capitol and wondered why greater, like many, why greater precautions weren't taken. The crowd's intentions were well known in advance. And if Black Lives Matters groups ha ha had planned a, a protest at the Capitol building, as, as they have in the past, the National Guard would have been lining the steps of the Capitol building. Yet this white crowd of thousands of followers of the president in a matter of moments, they overran the complex. Those who don't believe white privilege exists in the United States need to take a step back and consider the stark disparity between security preparations in D.C. on January 26 and, and, and policing uh, at any justice rally or, or protest. I, I remember peacefully protesting with my own eight, eighth, when my daughter was eighth in eighth grade, uh, we were uh, peacefully protesting alongside those in Baltimore in response to the murder of Freddie Gray. And again, this was years ago, but, but I remember military sniper rifles pointed at the crowd. My daughter and I stood in at the rally on the lawn in front of, uh, of Baltimore's city hall. But on, 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 on January 6th, 
Police were pictured removing barriers, blocking the mob. They took selfies with those who, who broke into the Capitol. Black people, people like those I stood with in Baltimore, would have all been shot. Law enforcement officers kill black people in this country for nothing. It was painful for me to, to watch the disparity in response uh, uh, to the actions of January 6th. And I can't imagine how painful it was for my non-white friends. It's, and it's not that, and this has been said repeatedly, it's not that we want those involved in, in last week's mob to meet the same level of lethal force, uh, but, but we want those that are crying out for racial justice to meet with the same level of self-restraint. Uh, last July, the President of the United States declared that anyone defacing or destroying federal property would be punished to the highest extent of the law. On January 6th, that same president told those who had desecrated and destroyed federal property that he loved them and that they were very special people. It was never about protecting property, but about the skin color of those that were calling for change. And lastly this week, I want to talk about uh, a disparity of analysis. Uh, the disparities in analysis by certain news outlets in our country is also heavy on my heart this week. I I've listened to, to people I know personally referred to as thugs and terrorists and rioters and, and looters over the past year. But these same news outlets called those involved in last week's riots patriots and, and, and freedom fighters. One of those involved was one of West Virginia's very own, a, a newly elected state official delegate, uh, Derek Evans. And West Virginia Senator Mike Azinger, a Republican from Wood County, was also at the rally. And he has stated since, quote unquote, it was inspiring to be there. And I hope that he, referring to Trump, calls us back. Those are our West Virginia state legislators. Now, our local state senator, uh, uh, Senator Stephen Baldwin, uh, a part of the, the, the uh, he's head of the, the Senate Minority Caucus, um, a, a Democrat. It passed, he's also pastor of the Ronsevert Presbyterian Church. He released the following statement on behalf of West Virginia's Senate Minority Caucus. And I want to read it to you. Today, our children must know that this is not how democracy works. Democracy is determined by ballots, not bullets. Democracy rests on the peaceful transfer of power because of free and fair elections. We do not inflict violence on those with whom we disagree. We condemn today's attack on democracy because this nation is a nation of laws, order, and decency. All of those who participated in today's attacks on the Capitol, especially those who unlawfully entered the building and perpetrated acts of violence, should be prosecuted fully by the law that undergirds our democracy. We understand that an incoming delegate, Derek Evans, videoed himself participating in such acts. There is no place for him in the West Virginia legislature. When our state was born, it took tremendous strength to carve West Virginia out of a divided nation. We are divided again today. It will take all our better angels to heal us. 
We pledge to do our part in the halls of the West Virginia Capitol, and we call on all citizens to do their part. Check on your neighbors, help someone in need, engage with those who are different from you. This is how we will summon the strength that is needed to right this country again by loving our neighbors throughout these majestic and grand hills of West Virginia. At the time that this is being recorded, uh, we here in West Virginia are still waiting to see how uh, Delegate Derek Evans' actions will be evaluated and responded to. And, and, And some here who so strongly condemned peaceful racial justice protests of last summer are calling uh, uh, Evans, uh, 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 calling him a hero. As a white follower of Jesus, all of these things weigh on me. The, the red flag warning parallels between our own story and, and the warning that Jesus gave, the values that were acted on in last week's events, the disparity between how law enforcement responded to the mob and, and how they respond to black people, and lastly, the disparities in our ability to analyze the actions of those at the U.S. Capitol building on January 6th all deeply concern me and are a call, as in the above passage, to reflect and again take life-giving, life-saving action. And I pray this week that it gives you cause to reflect and to act as well. Heart Group application this week, again, we at Renewed Heart Ministries are continuing to ask all of our heart groups, not to meet together physically at this time. Uh, stay virtually connected with one another, but but we want you to practice uh, physical distancing. When you go out, remember to keep a six-foot distance between you and others. Continue to wear a mask. Continue to wash your hands to stop the spread of this virus. The 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 uh, a vaccine is coming. It's out there, but it's still going to take a while to get to everyone. And remember, this is a time where we can practice the resource sharing and mutual aid that's found in the Gospels. So make sure that others in your group have what they need and 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 prioritize those who are most vulnerable among you. So number one this week, share something that spoke to you from this week's eSight or podcast episode with your heart group. Number two, what do the disparities that we have mentioned here in this podcast, what do they speak of to you? And discuss that with your heart group. And then number three, what can you do this week, big or small, to continue setting in motion the work of shaping our world into a safe, compassionate, just home for everyone? Thanks for checking in with us today, right where you are. Keep living in love, choosing compassion, taking action, and working towards justice. I love each one of you dearly. I'll see you next week. Mm -hmm.